Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. 2 Kings 6, 24. We sang songs this morning about the attributes of our, of our God. The title of the message this morning is The Just and Righteous Ways of God. We're going to be looking at the four final events in the life of Elisha. I had uh, great hopes to finish all four of those events, but today we'll only cover the first. And so next Sunday, or after the missionaries are here, then uh, the just and righteous ways of God, part two, probably. But there are four different events that, takes pla- that take place at the end of Elisha's life and ministry. Actually, one takes place after his life. But uh, still his ministry, that's an interesting one. The first, God rescues a city, that's where we'll be today. The second, God remembers a widow. The third, God removes and replaces even wicked kings. And fourth, God revives one more life. We saw last week in two accounts, the axe head restored and the war plans revealed that God can be trusted. In these last four events of the life of the prophet Elisha, the truth will be repeated, uh, here are more impossible circumstances that men face, and God proves that he can be trusted because he is just and he is righteous. All the miracles that he has performed in the, in the Old Testament and New Testament, he shows that he can do anything. And also, in the fact that he is just, he shows that everything that he does do is absolutely right. It's the right thing to do. He's just. It's a great verse in Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. And so the justice, the righteousness of of our God. Today we'll look at that first of the last four events in Elisha's life. God's hand is seen throughout this entire account, and we learn about uh, the ways of God. This is about a, a besieged city that God sends rescue and help to. It's found in verse 24 of 2 Kings 6, and we'll go through chapter 7, verse 20. The city of Samaria was the city that's being besieged. It was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. The name Samaria in Hebrew means a watch mountain or a watch tower. And Samaria is set on a mountain, making it a natural defensible position as a city. The story begins in a tragic way. And sometimes there are passages in the Bible that we might want to avoid. This is one of those. It's not pleasant as it begins. But it's here to show us that there are serious consequences for disobedience, for sin, for turning away from God. But it ends in a way that uh, is, it ends well for all but one person who doubted God. Verse 24, and it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon a wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? 
And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him, and she hath hid her son. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman, that he rent his clothes, that he passed by upon the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Then he said, Go do so, and more also to me, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. Verse 24 began, and it came to pass after this. After what? We talked about it last week. And it ended in verse 23. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Those small groups, those invading, marauding bands of, of, of men stopped their invasions. But now King Ben-Hadad, would be Ben-Hadad II of Syria, has surrounded the city of Samaria. And, and he surrounds it with all of his army. Notice the words, all his host. And they used a method of warfare that was effective in battling walled cities. They cut off all food supplies into the city and, and, and it, in this place, causing a great famine, a famine within the city of Samaria. Why did God allow these things to happen? The answer is found in the law that he gave to Moses. Back in Leviticus chapter 26, some very specific things that God said would take place, verses 27 through 30. And if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. And I will destroy your high places, and cut down your images, and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols. And my soul shall abhor you. That's Leviticus chapter 26. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we find a similar prophecy of what would happen if they turned from God. 28 verses 52 and 53. And he, speaking of Israel's enemies, shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fenced walls come down wherein thou, wherein thou trustest throughout all thy land, and he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. And thou shalt eat the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and thy daughters, which the Lord God hath given thee, uh, in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. If you go down a few verses to verse 58 of Deuteronomy 28. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear the glo thy, this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. So these are the punishments on disobedience that God designed for the children of Israel in order that they would have a right relationship with him all the time, that they would not go after the gods of the, of the nations around them. These were designed to keep them from sin. These were warnings. And this was being fulfilled. They had not listened. They had not obeyed. They were worshiping Baal and other gods. And so that's why these things came to happen in Samaria. They had come to a place where there was no human hope in sight. Money had no value. It couldn't help anyone, no matter how much you had. 
A donkey's head, part of the animal that the law says was unclean, sold for 80 shekels of silver. That's two pounds of silver. A quarter part of a cab of dove's dung. This was the name that was given to seed pods that were given as fodder for the animals. This would have been about a quart, a half pint. Uh, it, it sold for five pieces of silver. The king had no solution. When a woman cried out for help, he responded in verse 27, If the Lord did not help thee, whence shall I help? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? He's being sarcastic. And he tore his clothes out of sorrow, not out of sorrow, not out of mourning. He wasn't wearing sackcloth for that, but, but because of his anger. And under his robe was that sackcloth. Sackcloth was a, a coarse material made of black goat hair. It was worn indicating that, that mourning process, extreme sorrow that a person would go through. And Warren Wiersbe makes an important point here. What good is sackcloth if there's no humility and repentance in the heart? King Joram wasn't repentant. He wants Elijah's head to come off of his body by the end of the day. Uh, Joram blamed Elisha for the famine. In reality, in blaming Elisha, he was blaming God. He was angry with God, and he took it out on his servant. That's the way some people respond today. They attack God by attacking you, who, who follow God, who know God. You're, you're his children. You represent him. And, and that makes you the object of their hostility. It's amazing to see how many people turn to God and pray when they think he might rescue them from something that they don't want to face. And yet they want to blame God when he doesn't do what they think he should do. Joram had no change of heart after he saw God's power displayed in the first half of chapter 6. The soldiers were struck blind, led to Samaria. You remember the story. Joram should have known by now that God is omnipotent, that he can be trusted. But he continued in his own apostasy. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says, Joram and the nation of Israel failed to turn back to the Lord as a result of that previous incident. Consequently, God sent a more severe situation to draw them back to himself. And so here, as you look at the, the circumstances in these walls of Samaria, you say, this is as bad as it could ever get. And it's a result of their disobedience to God. God's hand was heavy on them. They were realizing the consequences of their choices, of their sin. When we come to verses 32 and 33, and we see Elisha knew that the king, King Joram, wanted him dead. But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat with him, and the king sent a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See ye how this son of a murderer hath sent to take away mine head. Look, when the messenger cometh, shut the door, and hold him fast at the door, is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto, unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What or why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Elisha is in his own house with the elders of the city. D.A. Carson points out that during the previous siege of Samaria, all the elders of the land assembled around the king. That was in 1 Kings 20, verse 7. Now we find the elders gathered in the house of Elisha. 
And, and Carson writes, true leadership has, was acknowledged to lie with the prophet, not with the king. And so they were recognizing, these, these leaders of the, of the town, that Elisha was on God's side and Joram was not. While the messengers are on their way to kill Elisha, he refers to Joram as a murderer's son. Remember who Joram was the son of? Ahab and Jezebel. And so he's accurate there. The implication is that Joram is just following the way of his own father and saying now he's going to kill Elisha. And so Elisha refers to this plot of taking away his head. Joram had said in verse 31 that that's what he would do. And so you think, okay, how did Elisha know that? Elisha was one of the... uh, was the one who, when the Syrians were forming those attacks, he would let the king Joram know where those attacks were going to be. He, he revealed what was spoken of, it says, in the king's bedchamber uh, in the Syrians' army. So Elisha knew. God was revealing all that he wanted Elisha to know. So what did Elisha do? He blocked the door so the messenger assigned to kill him couldn't get in. Then the messenger's master, Joram, arrived, and they, they're talking, whether it's through the door or whether they let him in at that point, but they were talking. And Elisha had apparently told him to be patient and wait that God would deliver the city of Samaria. Because we read the king's words, he blamed God. Because this evil is of the Lord. And he said, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? There are two big mistakes here. And two things that we should never say. Never blame God for evil. You might not understand it. But God is not responsible for the, the, for the blame. We do not take God to task because we don't think he did things correctly. Never blame God for evil. And second, never say, I'm not going to wait any longer for God's timing. And that's what Joram was doing. He's blaming God, and he said, I'm not going to wait any longer. We've been in this famine long enough. Notice Elisha prophesied that God would deliver the city of Samaria in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel. Remember, he's speaking to Joram and this messenger. And two measures of barley for a shekel at the gate in Samaria, of Samaria. Then a Lord, on whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make a window in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. A prophet was delivering what God's message was. We see it twice. Hear ye the word of the Lord. And then he follows that up with, Thus saith the Lord. This is what God has to say about your circumstance in this besieged city. What a wonderful privilege we have to tell others what God has to say. God's word is true. We have a possession of it. The word of God, it's absolutely true. It gives us hope. It tells us how we can be forgiven of our sins. It tells us about salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the prophet was delivering God's message. It was a message of hope. Uh, The deliverance would come within a day, tomorrow about this time. And we'll follow the timeline, and it it takes place exactly as as Elisha said, or as God said. (laughs) 
Food for man, fine flour, or this would be meal, for a shekel. The measure here uh, is, a, a, the word is saha, it's about seven quarts of this flour for a shekel. And then the, the, ek, the, the next, the barley, would have been the provender for the animals. Two measures of the same word, saha, uh, for the same price, a shekel. And the food that they're talking about was going to be available at the gate in Samaria, the gate where this city is, is closed. The king's officer didn't believe that God would do what Elisha prophesied. Verse 2, a lord on whose hand the king leaned. It's an interesting phrase. When an eastern king walked or stood outside, he always supported himself on the arm of the highest servant that was there. And he ridiculed what Elisha said. Even if the Lord would make windows in heaven, open up the sky, might this thing be? Could it ever happen? Jameson Fawcett and Brown say, the scoffing infidelity of this remark, which was a sneer against not, only, not the prophet only, but the, God of, uh, but the God he served, was justly and signally punished. Elisha prophesied of the fate of this man who doubted God's word. He said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. Matthew Henry commentary is one that uh, is probably the first on any pastor's or uh, Bible student's shelf. And Matthew Henry writes here, Man's extremity, speaking of this besieged city, man's extremity is God's opportunity of making his own power to be glorious. His time to appear for his people is when their strength is gone. Have you not found that in your life? You've tried everything. There's nothing more you can do. And then you turn to God. Man's extremity is God's opportunity. Unbelief is a sin by which men greatly dishonor and displease God and deprive themselves of the favors he designs for them. Such will be the portion of those that believe not the promise of eternal life. They shall see it at a distance, but shall never taste of it. But no temporal deliverance and mercies will in the end profit sinners unless they are led to repentance by the goodness of God. Well, I think one of the favorite parts of the story in my mind is what happens next, how God uses four lepers. We start in verse 3 of chapter 7. And there were four leprous men at the entering into the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we, shall still, if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come, and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the, under the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. 
And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. These were lepers. They had been separated from everybody in Samaria, from everybody in the culture because of this disease. They had to stay unclean. They had to stand far back from people. They probably lived in small structures that were just outside the walls of Samaria People would throw food over the walls to them, but they probably didn't have anything to eat because of this war-inflicted famine. They hadn't heard the prophet's words. They acted on what they thought would be a good course of action. They weighed their options. They had three. Uh, number one, we'll enter, we'll go back into Samaria. What's going to happen there? Death. Okay. Um, the second, we, we can stay here where we are. We're going to die that way. The third, we fall into the host of the Syrians. At least we have the option of death or life. And so that's what they chose. Uh, they were going to just go in and, and ask for food. Notice the timeline here. In verse 5, the lepers arose at twilight in the evening. In verse 7, the Syrians arose and fled in the twilight. And then they're going through this process of eating and, and gathering all this stuff together uh, during the night. And they, they say, well, we need to do something before it's morning. They found the camp of the Syrians empty. The Lord made them hear the sound of, of mighty armies coming. Here's another miracle in the life of Elisha. They thought that Israel had sent for reinforcements, the Hittites and the Egyptians. The troops of Syria heard that noise and they, they fled. They left everything just as it was. I can imagine the food that they prepared for the evening meal was still on the spit over the fire. Can you imagine these four hungry lepers, what they were thinking when they, when they came across that camp? All of this food, not only food, silver, gold, raiments. And so they started, after this first tent, they, they started burying it. You know, we're gonna, I'm going to come back for it. You guys are terminally ill. You're lepers. There are other people who are only starving, okay? And you've got a solution for them. And they said, we do not well. Today is a, glad of, a, a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. And how often, Wearsby talks about that as believers. We have great news to tell people. Let's not hold our peace. These four lepers started thinking again. Here were dying men who had all the food that they could eat. And so they said, we can't be selfish. We need to let people in Samaria know. This is great news. They might have also thought, if we don't report this, we could be punished when they find out that we knew this. And if we tarry to morning light, it says some mischief will come upon us. Well, they went back and told the porter. Who was that? The, the guy at the gate in the middle of the night. They probably knew him if their, if their encampment was just outside that gate. Verses 10 and 11. So they came and called unto the porter of the city, and they told him, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied, and the, tent as, the tents as they were. 
And he, that is the night guard, called the porters, the others that had the same job, and they told it to the king's house within. Remember the timeline. They got there at twilight. They're going through all those empty tents. They returned, told the porter to turn, uh, who in turn told the other porters, who told the king. And in verse 12, we find here it was still night. Then the king arose in the night. Here's the news that the king receives. And, and he's a little bit dubious. He said, this could be a ploy. He said to his servants, I will, now, uh, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore, as they go, are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city or gain access into the city. So they, they formulated this plan. It's in verses 13 and 14. One of the servants answered and said, let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they are, all, uh, they are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. That is, they're, 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 they're hungry, uh, they're, they're weak. Uh, behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. And let us send and see. They took, therefore, two chariot horses, and the king sent after the host of Syrians, saying, Go and see. The plan was to take five horses. That was his suggestion at the beginning. They ended up by taking two chariots, probably most likely two horses for each of those uh, chariots. And uh, if there were an ambush, then the, the losses would be, would be small. Verse 15, the truth is discovered. And they went after them unto Jordan. And lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste and the messengers returned and told the king. They found this trail of debris, discarded items. That, well, I got to have this, I got to have that, and then when you're running for your life, I really don't need that. And so for 25 miles, all the way to the Jordan River, all of this stuff is there. And so they say, well, the Syrian army is gone. And in verse 16, we find that the windows of heaven were opened. <laughs> the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians, so a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two, members of, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. The king opened the gate. Those who brought back what they found uh, started selling it to the other people in Samaria for the price, the very same price that Elisha had prophesied. And the prophecy of the death of the king's officer also came to pass, verses 17 through 20. The king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. And the people trod upon him in the gate, and he died as the man of God had said, who spake when the king came down to him. And it came to pass, as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two measures of barley for a shekel and a measure of fine flour for a shekel shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria, and that Lord answered the man of God and said, Now behold, if the Lord make windows of, in heaven, might such a thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shalt not eat thereof. And so it fell unto him, for the people trod, him, trod upon him in the gate, and he died. The king placed this officer at the gate so he could make sure that uh, people were orderly when they were leaving, crowd control, and he failed. And the word of God spoken by Elisha came true. Every detail, exactly as he said. He saw with his own eyes this man 
the provision of food, but he didn't taste a bite. And it was about 24 hours from the time that he said exactly how he said it would happen, exactly when he said it would happen. The greatest truth in this passage, there are several, but God's word will come to pass. Heed his warnings of judgment. Don't turn your backs on him. That's what happened. That's why the city was being besieged in the first place. Don't think, well, I can live my life without Christ. Live it obediently to his word. Follow him with all of your heart. If you don't know him, trust him as your savior. Heed his warnings of judgment. Second, believe his promises of blessing for those who obey and follow him. Not only will there be punishment if you disobey him, there is great reward in obedience. And third, trust the merciful provision of the one who's able to open heaven's window. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage of scripture. It's here for our admonition. We can learn many truths about who you are and what you expect of us. So I pray that today the Holy Spirit will take these words and apply them to each heart. Help us to go from this place with a greater trust, a greater reliance on your word and your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.